she had such an amazing respect for music, for silence, for drama. She did not just let there be dancing anytime when there's music. And in fact, she allowed a lot of blank. Right? So there are many moments where the music is central. The dancer is observing. And then there are other times where I am to the side and the dancing is highlighted and it's on, on the platform. Today I'm talking to the violist Sunyan Wang. That's a that's it's lovely to meet lovely. you. It's lovely to meet you, Sunyan. And um, you are now in in uh, Japan. No, in Taiwan right now. I mean, in Taiwan. I was oh. in Japan. I was in Japan um, uh, judging the Tokyo Viola competition, uh, and that that was so tremendous that the people were so well prepared. Amazing young players. So many amazing young players. Um, a great great jury. Uh, yeah. Top lovely colleagues. Nubuko uh, Imai, Antoine Tomasi, Lars Thompson from Norway, and um, and William Coleman from the UK. So it was a five of us, and it was really fun. Yeah. So, and you were judged for this competition? I was judging. I was one of the judges. Okay. And is it because this is very important for musicians to do these competitions? Well, um, it, it's interesting. That, that's a very that's a very interesting question. I I know personally, um, I don't necessarily believe in competitions. Uh, we all know that art is very. It's never black and white. Um, and in fact, it when there has to be an obvious selection of a first prize, sometimes that that's look that's low. It's, I mean, I think if I could run something, I hope there to be three winners because I think I may really appreciate three different people at that stage of their career, of their musical development. Um, that's the best they can offer. So I guess the pros and cons of competition would be if one was to gather, let's say, a whole year to prepare for something that the musician would have to carry, you know, 10, 20 repertoire, 20 pieces, that's a lot. Um, but it focuses in on your own work. It raises your bar. It, it helps you to really be the very best of yourself. Um, and so that, I think, when it's at the right time of a musician's career, I think can be really great and helpful, propel somebody forward. Um, I also think it's incredibly important that every musician knows when they go into it, not to allow the results to validate them. Because so much of the results are, in fact, very much of it is luck. Mm -hmm. And I often say, especially to some of my students who I can feel that are talented and they're eager and they want to do everything. And I, I can sort of sense in about two years, they will be just right, you know? No. And how to share that message to say it's not that you're not good enough, but it's that actually when people interest, I think interesting musicians have more ingredients to put together. Mm -hmm. So it's less straightforward, you know, yeah. and you will find very often 
uh, if you look in the history, there are people who have won all kinds of awards and, and actually don't really go anywhere. And then there are people who haven't really gotten an, you know, any competition, but then carry through their career, they reinvent, they create, they do things outside the box. And then they, be, they really build a, a rich artistic life. And I thought interesting that, um, yeah. But yeah, because I spoke to a pianist once and he also said that um, he finds it difficult, the competitions, because it's how do you judge actually the artistry? You know, you, you judge the technique yeah. really, but not the artistry. Well, hopefully the two are in fact the same, right? And I think that is the, the most important part is for people not to be divisive. I think once you divide art into these different categories, then we have trouble, actually. I think you could have, I always say that the best technique is to be able to express your intention up to the fullest extent, right? So that's the technique, actually. The real technique is to be able to say artistically what you want to say fully. So that could include um, all of the depth and the nuancing and the expressivity, and it can include speed and velocity and, you know, being agile and being flexible. But it's actually the, it's the same thing. So when people start, start to take things apart, I think it's, problem, it's problematic. Yeah. yeah. But maybe it takes also a career, a, you know, a time for, for yeah. people to understand that, you know, that if you are a young musician that... And, and the focus is so much on the technique and, and on getting you there, uh, then maybe you, mm -hmm. you perceive it that way, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it, it's interesting. Certainly, I think pianists are, I mean, they really face a whole different, it's a really a different level of composition. Just because the wealth of piano repertoire is so extraordinary. And so in some ways, um, there's no comparison. I mean, there really isn't. I, it, for instance, as a violist, you know, we we carry a few concerti that are important to us. For pianists, I mean, look at the the 21 Mozart concertis, the Beethoven, the Brahms, the Chopin, the Liszt, and then let's not like get into some of the 20th century. I mean, Rachmaninoff. I mean, huge. Each thing is something enormous. And so every pianist that goes in to these competitions and plus all the box and all the etudes, that expectations is simply overwhelming. And so it's a whole different, really it's a different ballgame. So, mm. I, you know, I just hack off. I, I always, I, I enjoy listening to pianists so much. I mean, I hear the integrity, the work and, of course, just the richness of the repertoire is amazing. Yeah. But now you're a violist, and I, I actually yes. love the sound of the viola. And I would love yes. to hear now what was it that inspired you to play the viola? <laughs> it's a great question, and it's a slightly embarrassing answer, but I will share it with you. It's a very real answer. So yeah. I grew up in Taiwan. Um, and that's where I am right now, visiting my mother. 
and Taiwan 40 years ago, classical music was just at the cusp of being introduced into this society. So people knew very little, you know, we, we started our classical, I would say the classical world was really, really came by Japan and the Japanese occupied Taiwan for 50 years. And so that was how classical music became embedded into this environment. Um, and at the time, people mostly knew the violin and the piano. And so I started as a pianist. I, I played okay, but I practiced. <laughs> you know, I was, but I was, I was, I was very, very into it. I loved the piano and I thought that was what I considered to be my, my instrument. And our school always expected people to um, pick up the second instrument. So the violinist chose the piano and the pianist chose the violin. I thought that was really boring. I didn't want to play the violin like everybody else. So I went to the orchestra office and I asked if there was something nobody played. I said, is there an instrument you need? You know, I'll play something you need. I'll be helpful. And they said, yes, we need, we need oboes, we need violists. And um, it was at a time, you know, my father knew what an oboe was, but didn't know what a viola was. Nobody knew what a viola was. Nobody played a viola in Taiwan. So um, he just said, well, you're a girl playing an oboe doesn't look so good. How about let's not play the oboe? <laughs> so let's play the other thing that doesn't, you know, maybe it doesn't look terrible. <laughs> so that was a very silly reason, but that was the reason. And um, I didn't take it very seriously. I didn't practice, you know, reading the clef was hard. And I just thought I played the piano. That was so much easier. Um, but then I met a few teachers who really took it seriously and taught me a few things. And um, the first time I really fell in love with the viola, I was in England and I heard the Haydn Sunrise Quartet, Opus 76, number four. And I hadn't really had, ever heard a string quartet before and um when i first heard that and the viola solo came in i just i remember i cried i remember thinking oh my gosh i had no idea that voice inside that kind of a group can provide such a soul like it was really the heart of of, of the group and and i knew very little about string quartet and so i just utterly fell in love with string quartet with the sound of it uh, and then you know that became kind of my tool to make conversation with friends and to actually make friends because I, I spoke nothing right I didn't speak English so the only way I could make friends was to um I read Haydn quartet Beethoven Bartok you know we we rehearsed we said read we made fun of each other and, and that was that was the beginning of my journey wow. with the viola Mm. <laughs> and is it now um i mean it is a unique it is in a way unique it is in a way something that um because i haven't spoken to many violists but is it how you expected it to be when you said you wanted something that was unique <laughs> do you still feel that yes absolutely that's a that's a wonderful question and if you would allow me to um actually to to i i will i i will expand a little you know so obviously 
musicians at, at large, you see a, a number of different careers, right? Violinists, pianists, conductors, singers. These are people who can really have spotlights and and um, and they they carry an extraordinary voice and and very few violists uh, have occupied that kind of a position. And the reason is actually quite simple. It's not that the violists aren't good enough. There, there are many wonderful violists, and um, but the repertoire just has not been in you know for decades and centuries. The instrument has always been the middle, right? And it's a middle voice, therefore it's a bridge. So it's hidden. It's more there's more humanity, but it is not an instrument people will come out and say, oh, I noticed that. But I mean, because you, in order to be noticed, you have to really push everybody else away or play louder, which is not really quite what the instrument can do. So to that extent, I would say uh, violists in general, you know, to be so-called a soloist, um, it's limited repertoire. And, um, and there are several wonderful, wonderful players and they're all doing lots of different things, exploring new ideas and, and carrying their voices forward. I I feel very lucky that I actually really, I genuinely love and depend so much on chamber music, as well as some solo playing and as well as teaching, because that makes up my life. That makes me feel richest, is when I can engage with youngest, with young players, where I can try to sort of solve problems with them. You know, for me, teaching is never here is my way, therefore it's correct. But it's actually looking at somebody else's problem and framing it and exploring together. And um, for me, that I love. I love that. And then the other thing I love is, you know, so chamber music, to the extent, besides the traditional Haydn, Beethoven, Ravel, Cortez, I really have gotten myself interested in these other cross disciplinary creations and projects. And that was what has brought us talking together to this project, um, where I would like, I wanted to frame solo viola music with dancers. And in a way that's my chamber music with dancers. And in doing this, in dreaming up this project, every step of the way was really a surprise and a them. But I feel very lucky that when we ended up collaborating together and presenting together, I have made lifelong friends um, in different fields and, and being so incredibly inspired by the dancers. And they are young and so beautiful and they work so hard. And I found when I'm on stage watching them and making music with them, it was really a very different experience from playing with other musicians and in a way I learned so much I really learned so much so. well I I think this is such a wonderful project and yes this is why I'm talking to you uh, and and yes. want to know more because I think what a beautiful way of collaborating you know the 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 uh, viola and the dancing and um is this was this in a way for you experimental that you or did could you envision that that's a really good question. I I did at some point, so about 20 years ago, I did a project 
with the Lincoln Center Chairman Music Society, and they collaborated with Bill T. Jones Dance Company. Bill T. Jones is a um, contemporary American dancer, and he has tremendous creativity, and his dance troops are amazing. And we that was a project where we performed and collaborated with the dancers on Mendelssohn Octet, uh, Beethoven Quartet, and Quartet Quartet. So it was really a combination of something quite traditional and then romantic and then very contemporary. And some of it we memorized. I mean, the Quartet was really interesting. We memorized and we got, we were weaved, weaved into the choreography and we were on stage. That left an extraordinary um, vivid memory in me. And I was part of a group, but I kept thinking someday, I really hope to do this again. And fast forward, so many, many more years forward, um, the idea of you reuniting music and dancing, it's actually, it's, it's not new. I think anybody who is in this field will know that, I mean, they always existed together. And in fact, they always inspired each other. I mean, the examples of Stravinsky and Balanchine, it's such a classic one, um, Prokofiev. I mean, they all work with choreographers and the idea that the art circles could really overlap and have enormous respect for each other. It takes, it take, yeah, take, it takes a lot of luck to meet the right collaborator, I think. So um, I was talking about this to a dear friend, Petra Muzievich, who actually works as an artistic administrator at the Baryshnikov Center. And he's, he's a dear friend, he's a fantastic first-class pianist. And I said, you know, I was playing this ligety, short little ligety uh, movement, but in my mind, I could see a dancer. I could see somebody dancing to this, and I want to be on stage performing with a dancer. And he immediately just said, yeah, that's a great idea. He said, but you know, five minutes, that's too short. Why did you come up with a longer program? So it was really, it started from that. And I thought, okay, longer program, how? Then I thought, okay, the ligety was all based on the C string. The entire movement is you, you play, you explore C string to the breaking point. It goes really high up and it, then it vanishes. It's just incredibly beautiful. So I thought, okay, what if I take C string as the string that inspires so many composers, Schubert's cello string quintet in C. He's in love with C. Britain, who uh, absolutely C is central in all of his compositions. C, I think, represents something bigger than life, something really, really huge. Chaconian C, and he has too many. There's so many, so many composers who you know they pay homage to this idea of C. So then I, as I started thinking about the number of different solo pieces. Of course, Hindemith wrote plenty on C. Uh, Bach had C strings. Um, and then fast forward, many other contemporary composers, Garth Knox, who is a fantastic violist, Kenji Bunch, who is a fantastic violist, they all wrote beautifully and very comfortably for C. Um, and so before you knew it, like. One thing next year, I started hearing and seeing a, a story. So I threaded, first threaded this music together as a storyline that I could hear. 
And I performed it a few times, recorded it. And then again, talking to another friend, very much as an accident, uh, uh, dear, dear late friend, Jerry Khan, who really uh, tragically passed away very, very suddenly. He, as I was talking to him, I said, you know, I have this program, see, and I just want, I'm hoping that I could find a, a choreographer who might be interested in collaborating with me. I just, I don't engage in that circle. He said, oh, let me put you together with Ashkenazi Ballet. I said, well, who are they? I don't know nothing about them. So he knew Volka and the Alessandra well as friends and approached them. And all of a sudden, here we are. We, without meeting, we decided to collaborate together. <laughs> and Isn't it's that amazing. Yeah. yeah. And then what's even more actually miraculous, I would say, we, I think meeting Alessandra was really one of the graces of life. I have absolutely fallen in love with her as an artist as a choreographer and of course as a person but when we were working together what I didn't know and later found out was that she not only basically memorized my music and was able to share with all the dancers the dancers all memorized my music they came up they worked on it for a good two years um. and the last year when we decided we couldn't come together, then we thought, okay, let's produce a film, have a film collaboration. And um, when she sent her choreography to me, I cried. Really? I remember I was watching, I was in bed and I had to wake up my husband. <laughs> I had to say, watch this. I cannot believe this is, she did this to my music because without knowing each other, um, what I could take away from her choreography was she was a better musician than I. She had such an amazing respect for music, for silence, for drama. She did not just let there be dancing anytime when there's music. And in fact, she allowed a lot of blank. Right, so there are many moments where the music is central, the dancer is observing. And then there are other times where I am to the side and the dancing is highlighted and it's on, on the platform. And this time when we came together live in person, so much more came together without expectations. And that was the, the really beautiful thing was I found out there would be ideas. I would say, that's so ingenious. How did you think of this to do with the music? She said, well, actually the ideas came from the girls. Really? Because if she ran out, she, she, well, she was a bit stuck. She would play the music and she would sit down with the girls and she would say, what do you guys see? What do you hear? What do you see? <sighs> and they said, okay, we walk. Instead of always being on point, and that's, of course, the beautiful thing of ballet, it's tremendously disciplined, and so it's, 
powerful and just seeing them working with that kind of integrity but so many ideas came from girls and there i i really i cannot express enough how incredibly privileged and honored i feel because to me that's true collaboration mm-hmm. was that when we came together sure there was the music but no one was a boss that in fact the the respect we all had for each other meant this was a unique presentation that the girls owned it. It belonged to them. And it belonged to Alessandra. And it belonged to her wonderful friend, choreographer friend, Oliviero, who also was part of it. So the teamship, the team was really tight. And um, I, and, I, I could not have asked for some, anything better. I mean, it was just, and I have to share another embarrassing secret, which was, you know, once I was doing it live, I was constantly distracted by them because they were so beautiful. Really? <laughs> you know, just watching them, watching them doing this and that. And I would get lost in my music. I would play and it's a program I've known for a long time, but I, then I was kind of, I was making mistakes, you know? when I made a mistake, they all knew. I couldn't hide mm-hmm. because they knew my music better than I did. Mm-hmm. So in the rehearsal, there were a couple of times. There was one time I took a wrong turn in the Ligeti. It was very slow, but it, I took a wrong turn. And I was playing and playing. And all of a sudden, I thought, oh, I made a mistake. Okay, I better keep going. I'll pretend. <laughs> then Alessandra came and said, nope, this is not right. You did something. The music is not right. I said, how did you know? She said, because we can't. We can't rest. So she knew my music way better than I did. And I said, oh, I was hoping to get away with it. You know, I was, I thought nobody would know. She said, sorry, I knew. (laughs) And then there was another time, the last performance in the tower, the Joan Tower, which was really a fantasy and was very long and was very difficult. And I made a mistake and made a wrong turn again in a performance where I thought, oh, how could I have done this? Okay, I have to not stop now, right now. The most important thing is I don't stop. So I fumbled a bit and I jumped. And the whole time I closed my eyes thinking, I better not look because I don't know what I've just done to the dancers. And then by the time I opened my eyes, they were right with me. Really? And afterwards, I said to Alessandra, I said, how did they know? She said, oh, they knew. They knew you made a mistake. They jumped with you. Isn't it amazing? Was I grateful? Yeah. And it's it's also because Alessandra was able to create a choreography that had plenty of blanks. She knew there were moments where it was just going to be patient and open. And so when I jumped, they skipped over with me and they knew exactly where that next point of me was going to be. And that was amazing. That's really, really yeah. amazing. But you know, I'm thinking now because I also did an interview with Alexandra and her way of teaching is, and, and while you were speaking now, I can totally understand why her students, why her dancers are so with her in this, you know? yeah and how they they 
and and like you say they some ideas came from them and i think she's got such a beautiful connection with her with her dancers that i yeah. can absolutely um understand this but also the other thing is is that because you you found the right person without even realizing i mean you did it wasn't as if you went looking for her she came on your way and isn't that amazing yeah i find well, we, it so we, really beautiful yeah really yeah, yeah we we were very lucky and we we thanked our friend derek over and over and over again when we were together it's it's these kind of chance meeting um I don't know. I think I always the most beautiful things in life often happen without you realizing. You don't go looking for it, and it happens to you. And I just, I just felt extraordinarily grateful. And you know, to to come back to saying what you said about her relationship with her students, it's something I found so touching. I found so touching because we're about the same age, and I too have students, and they they are they're slightly older they're not quite as young as as the dancers but what i sense is you know i think alessandra like me we we both have a feeling and wanting to wanting to kind of help transition uh transition into a place where we be the profession is also kind on the young generation. Um, and this could mean, you know, certainly I think that the ballet dancers and ballet ac academies tend, tend to have very high standards um, in the way sometimes quite unhealthy for female, for teenage females. Um, and for, for musicians too, actually, musicians that, and this goes back to our first conversation about competition. Um, 14, 15 year olds are often being propelled forward to do competitions, but how to build a strong psyche and resilience inside the musician to say it's not about now and please stay trusting. You should not judge yourself because of now. That's tough, and um, for this age, um, they, yeah, they need tremendous amount of support. They need grown-ups who can help guide them. And of course, that that beautiful connection between the student and teacher and the family, that third one, it's that's very that's that's a really a tricky dynamic because I have noticed also um, the. If the family and the teachers are more trusting of each other, it really helps the students. Um, and so, yeah, so it, it, you know, just having lived and collaborated with them for 10 days, I have a true, I just have so much respect for Alessandra. And I, I know that her dancers are healthy and they're well looked after. She will insist, but always with. A, an eye to a totality of health, a healthy being, a healthy psyche, a healthy body, and a healthy respect to their work. Yeah, I. This is what I also got from her, and uh, you know, from the interview, and I really admire her so much for having this uh, strong um, sense of the art of teaching the art 
you yeah. know, and and having the the students um, learn this beautiful side of the art and not the pressure side, you know, not the pressure that dancers sometimes have to be trained under. Um, so yeah, I think this is but wonderful that you got together and that she could understand what you were trying to say with your music. She's a better musician than I. I can say, I, you know, I know that this sounds ridiculous, but you know, of course, being married to Vovka and to the whole family, to the Ashkenazi family, I think it's, it, it, she just has an incredible sense. She's a beautiful musician, really. And I think any, any beautiful dancers have that musicianship in them. And, and you, you see it and you, you feel it. And even with her dance troops, you know, it, you can feel all those young dancers, they're, ah, they're, they're just wonderful, incredibly inspiring for me. But yeah. now this, this program, um, uh, how can it be seen? I mean, it's, uh, uh, are you going to perform it? We hope. <laughs> We're okay. trying to, uh, we, you know, it, it, at the moment, so much has to be, so much has to happen, obviously, but I think we uh, are hoping to find presenters and managers who will be interested in the project. And um, now the quarantine rules are all finally lifting a little bit. Hopefully, hopefully it will be possible to, to tour and, um, but that's, it, that's to be to be done. I mean, online there is a film version of this, but yes, I think it will be great for this to be seen um, in in person, and we we are working. So, yeah, I think yeah. this would be wonderful because I think I saw the video and it's beautiful. Really, it's really touching and and um, a beautiful, beautiful work. Thank you. Thank you. But now, um, tell me, what are your wishes for the future, apart from this project being on stage and, and touring the world? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I have another project I can talk to you about. Yes, and, um, and that's, yes. And, and, and this, you know, goes to, again, the blessings I feel as a violist, because I feel like I have to dream outside the box. And I am actually very interested in always doing something a little different. Um, I have another project where I am I am putting together with a Chinese instrument. Pipa. It's a it's a plucking instrument, and it's it's a little bit my my way of trying to explore deeper into my own roots. Yeah. And I don't know very much about Chinese music or Chinese instruments, and I've often been really intrigued and know that it's really important to to just learn we all need to learn from each other and um there so i have um i have commissioned a wonderful chinese composer lei liang and he has won several awards in the in the u.s and he's he's a he's a soulful absolutely soulful composer he has written a duo for viola and pipa. And then I'm actually having a, another, a young composer arrange. Vivaldi has a concerto for viola d'amore and lute. 
Yeah. And so I'm having that transcribed for viola and pipa. Oh, wow. So that will be interesting. And then framing with that, the mirroring side of it is I'm having a Chinese, um, a really traditional Chinese piece also for the this combination. So viola, pipa, and string quartet. So um, the whole program is, will frame, you know, you'll start with some pipa solo, viola solo, pipa solo, viola solo. The idea is both instruments are, uh, I wouldn't say they're rare, but they're not your traditional solo yeah. instrument. And then framing this, we look into history. We look into, we look into some of the Chinese poetry and, um, and music and, and seeing how it's um, translated. I mean, again, reinterpreted is kind of the word I want to use because I always think about reinterpretation. You know, I think about how much Bach reinterprets his own music, right? The same concerto can be for harpsichord and then for organ and then for cello. <laughs> um, yeah. The same uh, Beethoven too, Brahms too. I mean, they rearrange their own music. Of course, some of it is to sell music, right? To make a little more money if the same thing can be done on the clarinet and then kind of on the viola. But besides that, I genuinely think that Many, I mean, any composer would like to hear their music played differently on different instruments. Yeah. Why wouldn't it? It's the same music, right? And when it's played well, it's interpreted well, then we have a different sonic experience. So there are two different, you know, you, you meet a school of people who will say, absolutely, authenticity is the only way. Then I think I, I, I absolutely respect authenticity, but I also really welcome reinterpretation. Yeah, and that's that's where I hope you know, without being offensive, I mm -hmm. hope to meet audience and young generation musicians who would celebrate the idea of that creativity and say, yeah, sure, we could hear this Vivaldi via viola and pipa. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. But I think this is wonderful because it's also like you say, it's it's being inquisitive into the beautiful things that cultures bring. You know, every culture has their own beauty and their own, um, and, and sometimes these cultural things are hidden away, you know, because we yeah. we are so mainstream and we, we uh, like you say, the instruments, the different sounds, it can be so beautiful if, if it can just be explored that way. I think it's yeah. such a great idea that you're doing because it, it then also highlights the, these traditional instruments as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, thank you. Thank you for believing in this. You yeah, know, I, absolutely. I think, well, it, it, but, you know, I, I think I wouldn't be wrong when um, if we say that the classical world can be a bit elitist. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? You, you do sometimes... Um, meet people who are very firm and say this is the right this is the wrong you know that this has to be and it's it, i i find as we as we now have more tools and capacity to learn of the history right yes now we know more of historical performance practice yes we know more of what was and yeah. so there is an aspect where yes we need to honor the tradition and I just hope in doing so, we also allow ourselves uh, to 
create a new, to carve out a new territory uh, mm -hmm. without too many people pinpointing, saying, this is right, this is wrong. Yeah. Because it's easy to judge. And yeah. it's always, there's always, the, it's always the right and wrong. And sure, what was right then might not be right now. You know, that's what I always say to my students when they're learning to play fast. I say, it's like learning how they used to have to wear petticoats and three layers and a corset and then powdered hair and yeah. wig and all that. And nowadays, if you walk out there, you're looking like that, you'll be laughed at. Yeah, yeah. Right? But the sound priorities from then, that's what we learned, the sound priorities. So with that knowledge, how can we reinterpret it today without losing some of the sort of the aesthetic um, values? Yeah. The aesthetic values are different. That's what it is. Yeah. And without judging, we just have to observe and stay, um, stay relevant. That's all. Yeah. But, you know, I spoke to Charlie Albright. He's a pianist. And, um, yes, of course. You know him. And uh, he told me that he, um, he did an encore in, in Carnegie Hall once where he played Great Balls of Fire. And nobody expected mm. him to do that. And, and it was just that daring side of him just to, you know, after a, a classical yeah. concert to play Great Balls of Fire. And I think it's sometimes that um, you need to be a little bit more daring, you know, and you need to go out there Absolutely. And, and change things a little bit, change how people view and how people hear and I think it's the artists a place to do that I think the artists yes. are the ones to take the lead and say listen to this listen what what I give you here and and uh, you know understand what is going on and it's the same that you did with the with the dancing as well I think it's it's exploring all these things that where it might seem always as if the, the orchestras in the pit and the dancers is, uh, they are on stage and here you broke that barrier you know and you you came with your instrument and and it's this collaboration I think it's wonderful thank you I you put it so beautifully and I I absolutely love and echo your thoughts of that the artists actually carry a responsibility to do this. I, I cannot agree with you more. It's, it's so incredibly easy to recycle. And it's easy to recycle, as I say, when I, I mean, I use that word maybe not in the nicest way, um, in that we, we see organizations and presentations where it's simple to say, let's do another Beethoven cycle, let's do another blah, 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 let's celebrate by doing, these are not wrong. And these are of course worthy of what we need to do. But you're absolutely right. We actually carry, we carry a job yeah. to try to carve and to create something new. I totally agree. Thank you for framing it so perfectly. Yeah. Because that's actually what the students have to listen to, is that it's more than just playing perfectly and playing well. It's actually coming up with new ideas to say, how about this? And not to be afraid if people don't like it. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I mean, this is why we go back to Beethoven. You remember when he wrote Gorsa Suga, 
when that was premiered, he went to a little bar in a local place. He, he couldn't stand being there in a room because he knew the audience might not like it. And afterwards, everybody said, so, okay, so Opus 130, you know, was a big premiere. His friend came to him to say, he said, how was the growth of feedback? He only cared about the last movement. But the rest, he knew they're going to be fine. He only cared about the thing he produced that was going to break the barrier. Yeah. And he cared about it. And they, oh, the friend said, ooh, I don't think they liked it. And of course, he was mad. <laughs> But that was the only thing he cared about. But it was that it's the same spirit that we need to carry. It's actually these musicians, they inspire us because they they did it. They were they were there already. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. And I think it's uh, I learn so much from talking to artists um every day because it's that I've I learn by hearing what they're saying and then being inquisitive. You know, sometimes I would say something or tell me something about a specific composer and then I get so inquisitive I go and listen and I think if they could have if you have the power as artists to to do that to to um make somebody inquisitive about the art then how wonderful you know how much uh yeah power do you have through art yeah yes you're you're so right you're so right well, thank you for for everything. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I love I love your interviews. Your interviews are amazing. I oh, thank you so much. I'm glad you could um, you know listen to some and um, yeah. and it's wonderful to have you now also on the project. But um, and the connection with Alexandra, oh, she's such a lovely person as well, and it was such a great Absolutely. interview with her. Yeah, yeah. But now. Um, uh, yeah, I, I hope that your concerts um, happen with the dancers and that they get on stage. But I just have one last question for you. Yes. Can you yes. do, uh, you're in Taiwan at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. Is there, a, is there a restaurant that you can recommend in your area? Absolutely, many restaurants. Okay. What, you, is this for for your listeners? Yeah, just a shout out to a okay. restaurant, your favorite restaurant. Gosh, my favorite. Well, how about I give you something that's the most um, most representative of yeah. our our food? And this is a famous place to make dumplings, and everybody, people in the world, know about this. It's a place called Ding Tai Fong. Ding Tai Fong. And uh, they have restaurants now all over Asia, all over US. Um, they make juicy pork dumplings and they yeah. hand make it. So it, it comes in like this and it's tiny, it's very delicate. And when you bite into it, it's full of soup and juice. It's delicious. Wow. It's beautiful and delicious and, and delicate yeah and they have also dumplings that have vegetarian options and they're beautiful soups and chicken soup and and beef broth and fried rice Taifung is the place that most people would know about is it and, and traditionally what is what is traditionally yes. in the in the dumplings what is the what is the well, one traditionally thing that, in the dumpling would be would be pork uh would be ground pork and mm -hmm. sometimes they put shrimp 
and sometimes a little vegetable uh, seasoning, ginger, garlic, salt, all of the seasoning, and um, and you mix it, you let it marinate. Okay. And then you take a little piece of dumpling skin, you wrap it up, and you either steam it or pan fry it. It's yummy, yummy, yummy. <laughs> I'm going to try. Well, I'm going to try and, and find a dumpling with pork in yes. it. Because if you say it's traditional, then yeah. yeah. Then I want it with pork. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But thank you so much for this wonderful conversation and, and all your wonderful work that oh. you're doing. And I love your approach as well. And I think your students is, are very fortunate oh. to have you as a teacher. Oh, you're so kind. You're so kind. And thank you for allowing a space for artists to present, to talk, because it, it, this is so necessary and we need people like you. And thank you for your open-mindedness. Well, do you ever come to Vienna? I have not been to Vienna in such a long time. I only went there as a tourist. Really? So I would love to come. Oh, you have to come. You have to come to Vienna. I would love to yeah. come. I love to come. But um, let's put that wish out there because it seems that your wish has come true. Oh, you're so kind. You're so well, lovely. Thank we'll, you. We'll put the wish out there. Maybe you can do your program also here in Vienna with Alexandra. That Wouldn't would be that be amazing? amazing? That would be amazing. That would yeah. be amazing. Yeah. Be amazing. So we'll put the wish out. And I hope to yeah, see you soon. Thank you so much. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. It's great talking to you. It's lovely talking yes. to you too. Okay. Bye. Yeah. Bye-bye.